Before I start this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just a quick word of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast where we look at the National Audit Office report, Progress Combating Fraud, which reflects on the Home Office's work in seeking to prevent and reduce fraud in, I suppose, the UK, but principally England and Wales. The opening part of the paper looks at the scale of the problem by sharing data, and frankly, a lot of this data is a little staggering. 3.8 million. It's the estimated number of actual or attempted incidents of fraud against individuals in England and Wales in the year ending June 2022. 6.6 is the estimated percentage of people aged 16 and over, and I think that age range is crucial in England and Wales, who were a victim of actual or attempted fraud in the year ending June 2022. 41% is the approximate percentage of all estimated crime against individuals in England and Wales in the year ending June 2022, which is represented by fraud. So a staggering amount of the crime in England and Wales is fraud, has its origins in fraudulent conduct. £4.7 billion. Now that's the Home Office's estimate, which is the department which we're concerned with here. It's the most recent estimate of the cost of fraud to individuals which is staggering, which is staggering. More worryingly, I think, is the next part, which is unknown by the Home Office, is any reliable estimate of the cost of fraud to businesses. The Home Office has no idea about the cost of fraud to businesses, which I must admit when I read that made me go, what? It's extraordinary, incredible. Next stat is 5 of 52, which is the number of actions in the Economic Crime Plan 2019-2022 that relate to fraud for which the department is jointly or singly responsible. Less than 1%. Now, what do we think that could be? The percentage of police personnel involved in conducting fraud investigations in the year ending March 2020. There is a resource allocations issue here, which needs to be addressed by those who put together the strategy, and we'll come back to that briefly in a moment. And the final stat given by the report is 4,816. That's the number of fraud cases that resulted in a charge or summons during the year ending March 2022. Now, given these statistics, the statements which are made in the rest of the report are of little surprise. The threat from fraud is increasing. This cannot be news to any sentient human being who follows fraud and issues of financial crime generally. Fraud always finds a way, and even the global pandemic where advanced economies implemented national lockdowns did not necessarily reduce fraud levels. Rather, in a way, it provided new opportunities. In almost weekly episodes of the Financial Crime Weekly, well, that will be the case, it's a weekly podcast, but every week we seem to mention 
some kind of fraudulent activity, not, not, uh, not in any limited way, related to the pandemic. The number of cases that I've mentioned concerning company directors and others involved in fraudulent abuse of the bounce-back loan and other schemes related to relieving the impact of the pandemic on individuals and businesses is extraordinary. In fact, in this coming episode, which will be released this Sunday, there are further examples of fraud within the COVID response set up by the UK government. So, of course, the threat from fraud is increasing. I would, wouldn't even have said that a great deal of detailed research will be necessary to make that statement. It can be made with a reasonable degree of confidence. So, if the number of frauds is increasing, one would expect the number of charges and summons to be increasing as well. In fact, it isn't. It's falling. It's a bit eye-watering, that, since it's identified as the single largest category of crime in England and Wales. I said when I read through the statistics at the beginning, 41% of all crimes against individuals represents fraud, a crime of fraud at its heart, which is staggering. Another thing which, again, will come as no surprise, surprise, and that is the threat from fraud is changing. Credit and debit card fraud remain common, but there is a noted increase in advanced fee fraud, which is where you pay fees in advance for things which turn out not to exist. Now, these have increased over 700% for the five-year period up to June 2022. Now, I'll just repeat that. 700% which is remarkable. Now set this alongside all the other forms of fraud which exist, uh, employee fraud committed against an employer, uh, fraud romance scam frauds, and so on and so forth. The scale and extent of fraud is staggering. Now, what about the Home Office then? What's it doing? What's its strategy? Because this is what the report is about. It's about the efficiency and effectiveness of the response. The department has gaps in its understanding of the threat from fraud, which is worrying. Astonishingly, the department does not have a complete or up-to-date estimate of the cost of fraud to the economy, nor of the cost to business. A better idea of the scale of the problem is likely to lead, of course, to a better allocation of resource. To understand the problem, you can allocate increasingly limited resources more strategically and more intelligently across the range of the threats, focusing what resources are available on the threats that are there to individuals and corporations. Its position is further undermined by, as the report says, its understanding of the perpetrators of fraud or those who enable it by their action or inaction. Insofar as whether the Home Office is working effectively to tackle fraud, the picture is bleak. The overlapping strategies to address the issues of fraud, etc., have made it more challenging to focus and coordinate activities of partners. This is typical of reactions which governments tend to have when something is wrong. Something must be done, here is something, something is spotted, so therefore that is the thing that must be done. And it doesn't necessarily produce the best response. It would be better to address the issues in a rational, coordinated and reflective manner than in a manner which is simply reminiscent of a scattergun approach. 
We should expect better of government departments, particularly when it's something as important as the fight against crime, financial crime and fraud. That being said, the Home Office has attempted to simplify its governance arrangements in relation to fraud. This is welcome since it's likely to produce a more strategically effective approach to the issues generated around fraud. However, what it might do to make it more effective is to ensure that it has greater influence over those agencies who have a crucial role to play in combating fraud. The focus of the report in this area is to identify those areas where law enforcement agencies and the private sector can seek to influence behaviour. But at the very least, I think that actors within the public sector can have a significant role to play, especially, and I would say, in schools and other sectors of education. This is important because if you think back to the beginning, when we look at the data at the beginning, the measure, the measure for the estimated percentage of people who are affected by actual or attempted fraud as victims starts at the age of 16. So to include the schools in this broadening of understanding would seem to me to be sensible. Fraud does not start in adulthood. But given the broadening of the threat to mobile and other forms of fraud, children and teens are exposed to fraud, and for that matter actually other crimes, but it's fraud that we're concerned with here. So it would make more sense, because they're exposed in a way they weren't even as short ago as a decade. They're exposed in a way that wasn't the position before. Even my own son, who has a mobile phone, he's a teenager, and they are exposed to this threat of fraud through online gaming and other things. And therefore having a scheme of education within schools, putting it on the public and I suppose the independent sector, if there are independent schools, makes perfect sense as a response to the threat of fraud, not only against adults and tra through traditional forms, but also by going after children with their mobiles and other devices, particularly gaming devices, actually, that occurs to me as well. A final worrying aspect of the report is that the government does not understand the full extent of the resources dedicated to combating fraud, nor what impact it is having. Thus, there's a sense as you read this that it's just having money thrown at it in an untargeted way. Perhaps that's a bit harsh, since there has been an improvement since 2017, and the report does highlight that. But it does not have a complete picture, even today, in relation to the effectiveness of the spend. So more needs to be done. It is kind of a C-, minus. could do better, although the press, which reported the National Audit Office report, was more damning than I have been here. I'll read the recommendations of the report, which are listed to provide confidence that it is leading an effective cross-system response to the threat of fraud, the department should do the following. A. Complete and publish its strategy for tackling fraud as soon as possible, ensuring that it sets out first what outcomes it's seeking to achieve and by when it is seeking to achieve them, and a system-level plan for achieving the desired outcomes underpinned by specific objects or objectives and actions that are attributed to individual delivery partners and informed by an understanding of the resources they are able to deploy and the barriers they face. 
Second recommendation, to put in place the arrangements necessary to measure progress and to reprioritize and adapt its strategy, including by, first, producing an up-to-date measure of the cost of fraud to individuals and businesses and updating this sufficiently frequently to allow it to measure the impact of its actions. I would say at least annually that needs to be done. Developing and publishing an evaluation strategy that covers all strands of activity and, where possible, seeks to control for the wider factors that may affect outcomes. And finally, embedding its new governance arrangements to ensure that they are understood by all partners and operating effectively to monitor progress and hold delivery partners to account. C, the third one, to build on the research undertaken by the National Economic Crime Centre to review and align the range of existing communication strategies so that partners are presented coherent and targeted messages to businesses and individuals about how to protect themselves from fraud. And I think that is crucial. And not only should it be private sector involvement in that, as well as the usual state actors that you would expect to be providing advice in that context, I would suggest that the public sector has a role to play, particularly educational institutions. Get them early, teach them about the dangers so they don't fall foul of fraud. The final is build on its early work with international partners to strengthen its understanding of the international responses to tackling fraud and establish the relationships necessary to work effectively with overseas partners to address the threat that fraud poses. The Home Office has not provided a full response, and that should be interesting when it does come, as should the inevitable analysis of the Public Accounts Committee. That'll be a good one. That's it for this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, back on Sunday for the usual weekly. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. Thanks very much.